this is gonna be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite book. Off the internet, man. Oh, I need to go be an introvert. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Books in the City. I'm Becky. I'm Libby. I'm Emily. And I'm Kayla. Yay. Wow. <laughs> this is our 20th episode. I can't, insane. I cannot get over that. I mean, 20th regular episode. We know we've had a lot more because of author interviews and stuff, but this is crazy. Exciting. Congrats, Yay. guys. Cheers. 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 Wait, wait, wait. I Virtual cheers. I for you guys. Uh, it did nothing. <laughs> that was so anticlimactic. <laughs> Silent. <laughs> My ice melted. <laughs> ah, the sound of ice. <laughs> oh gosh, that's funny. <laughs> Anyways, so as we reflect on our twenty episodes here, uh, this, we helped. This feels like a high school reunion. I know. Does All it? The time. I don't know. I've never been to one. <laughs> had to get. Yeah, me neither. Anywho, as we reflect on our time here so far, <laughs> entirely in quarantine, by the way. Um, Not entirely. Well, we we started working on a pre-quarantine. Yeah, we recorded like, like a solid amount of episodes before we got into lockdown. Remember, don't spill on Kayla's couch. How can you forget? But like no, release-wise. I mean, release-wise, oh, we yeah. only existed in the world in quarantine. That's true. Which is wild. Which um, also means we can't say that we haven't been productive during quarantine. That's true. Okay. Oh, right. my God. Thank you for that. Wow. I needed yeah. that today. If my... If my mood were like one of the Sims ones, I'd be max green <laughs> bars right now by, because of what you just said. I can't believe so how much you bring up the Sims all of a sudden. Oh my God. I can't I know. you would forget it so easily. When I when I edited that episode where you started talking in Simlish, I literally had to like stop and like cry laughing oh my God. and like wipe my tears away before I went I back. I think I could probably still do like the music. Not off the top of my head. I, I'll have to look into it. But. It's probably copyrighted, so probably don't. Yeah, too mm. <laughs> As we reflect on our time here, <laughs> where I bring up The Sims a lot, I try to sing copyrighted music a lot, <laughs> but we've also inceptioned, incepted, birthed, what? several seeds. Thank you. <laughs> Inception. Actually, it's Inception. <laughs> Accurate. I love that movie. <laughs> okay. Leo. <laughs> oh, my God. As we think about our time. Oh, my God. <laughs> All I'm trying to say is Kayla's mom made an Instagram account. <laughs> She's everyone should talk about this. Actually, <laughs> follow it. That's all I'm trying to say. Oh we inceptioned an account. Leo was there. It's called Be Red Ones Mom. And it makes me crack up because we hypothetically were like, what if Kayla's mom got an Instagram account? I think it's hilarious. It okay? is our, it's our child. Yes. Oh, I'm but crying. Um, it is our child. Which Our is spawn. weird if you're saying we birthed it because she literally birthed me. <laughs> Whoa. Full circle. The circle of life. <laughs> Full circle. Can I sing that song? 
No, Alice and John not. will come after us in Disney and Beyonce. I think we have the, the only. We don't want team. Disney coming after us. The only way I want Disney coming at us is to sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to give With us a free trip to streaming musical. <laughs> but yeah, wow. we never actually spoke about this on here. But after that episode aired, I did go and I made K Red What's Mom, and I don't have access to it. It's not on my phone because. Some people might not know this. Instagram only lets you sign into five accounts. And since I do Instagram for work, I'm maxed out. So it's only on her phone. I have nothing to do with the posting anymore. She has not posted because she's still reading the last book that she posted (laughs) she was reading. But like every time she gets a follower, she'll be like, she does this like annoying fake voice. She'll be like, I'm famous. Like we're going to be on like the morning shows, like mother, daughter. And I'm like, you have no followers, but... Hey, everyone starts somewhere and we're bringing it up so that way you can go follow Kayla's mom. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she's not going to listen to this, but maybe she'll start (laughs) posting again. (laughs) At KRedWhat'sMom. Mom. Mom. Yeah. I keep trying to convince um, my mom to try and get on here. uh, And she's A, too shy. B, wouldn't work Zoom properly. Um, (laughs) Because she had a funny story where she was like, obsessed with this book series and i was skyping with my family on her birthday and was like okay wait you wrote selection yes. but do you mean the selection probably the <laughs> ya series yeah yeah <gasps> she was like that's one of my all-time favorite series what? oh really what is my I mom read it mom. yeah she was maybe we should oh my have God. her on if it's she feels so good because she was so funny she was like they had this deal on amazon and anyways I got the deal and I was like I was reading it and then I couldn't finish or she was like I had to finish the last book and she was supposed to like have a barbecue or something and um and like bring the food over and she was so obsessed with the reading that they had to order takeout instead because she was like, so behind <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and she was like it's my birthday but she was like it's this ya book i don't know i was obsessed no, I they're put it down. so good what's it about oh my god we need to get her on i need to talk to her about that right and we can talk about why tardiness runs in the family <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh that's so funny I really want to know what listeners think about us talking about this fishbowl because they're probably like, and they're probably like, this is so dumb. <laughs> just get on with it. And then they're like, Let we us know it's know dumb. Get through <laughs> feel about the We're aware that it's dumb. We just, That's why we're the doing sound it. effect is just too fun, you know? I love the yeah. sound effect too much, so. Becky's committed. Yeah. Committed. Keep us posted about the fishbowl, which is a physical entity that I go fishing in in my, in my apartment. And I'm going to stick my hand in and fish for a question. Plum, 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 plum. Great. I'm keeping that one in. <laughs> Great. Why are we using prefab sound effects when Libby was right there with the, <laughs> All along. With the spot on one? Anyways, um, so... Um, Oh, I like this one. What was your first concert, last concert, and favorite concert ever? Oh, this is especially sad because, like, all the was supposed to be happening. Concerts. I know. And just public gatherings in general. Ugh. R.I.P. Who wants to go first? Well, Kayla is the I know. most <laughs> seasoned concert goer in the group. 
Yeah, tell the people how many you've been to. I don't even know. I literally stopped counting after 100, and that was a few years ago. Like, how many (laughs) per year would you guess not in COVID times, obviously? Um, It honestly depends on who released albums and like like there's some years where I would literally be like a few a month and then 2019 was a pretty slow year for me 2020 should have been a big concert year for me um but I'm the person my sister and I are that like if it's someone we love we will go like every night they're playing if they can like concerts are my favorite place to be in the world um and it's really sad I should have been at Lollapalooza this weekend I should have been at Loverfest last weekend, but it's fine. Um, I'm not emotional about it. That was, so instead of a tour for Taylor Swift for her album Lover, she was doing like two festivals. So I would have been, I was supposed to see that in LA and then fly right to Lollapalooza. Oh my God. I wonder if folklore <laughs> yeah. would have happened if Loverfest It wouldn't have. Did. So are you happy in a way? Yeah, I am. Because folklore is, I think I can confidently say my favorite album of hers. Um, but anyway, we're going to get into her with this question. So my first concert was Aaron Carter. I was like Such seven. A good first concert. Yes. Yeah. I'll have to like, maybe I'll dig up the pictures. I have like a really cute pic. The last one I went to. Okay. I have like a kind of a two part. So the last full concert I went to was the Jonas brothers in November, but in February, I went to um, Louie from One Direction, <laughs> did a set at Rough Trade. So I went to that. So that was like Rough the last Trade. show I went to. I know. I hope all these venues um, survive. I'm so nervous. Ugh. Really? Yeah. It's really sad. I know. And then my favorite concert, this is like impossible to answer, but I guess one of my favorites, one that like I think about, it was Taylor Swift Reputation Tour. It was the second night that I went at MetLife Stadium and it rained the entire show. And it's kind of rare to get a show where like it's raining the whole time and you don't have to evacuate. And there was like no lightning. It was just solid rain. And she like it's kind of a thing with her. Like she loves rain shows. And it was just so like amazing and magical and so much fun, even though we were like like soaking wet the entire time going home wasn't fun um (laughs) like that kind of sucked but yeah that's like a show I'll like probably remember forever um I feel like I have a segue like not a segue but do you have something similar I have something similar um okay so my first concert was the American Idol tour (laughs) with Carrie Underwood oh that's cool well I mean I don't know that to be fair, my first concert was probably something else, but that I don't really remember. It wasn't monumental, but that was the first one that I remember being like, I made a sign and like went to. Oh, so cute. Um, My last concert, I really don't know. It might have been Drake. Drake and Future. At, oh, wow. Madison Square at the Garden? Garden? Yeah. Wow. Which was a long time ago. Yeah, it was like two. Five years ago, summers. I think. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't really, I don't really think I've been to any others since then wow clearly they weren't memorable if i did <laughs> i'm not a big concert goer as you can tell but <laughs> my favorite concert oh my god i would go to one every night if i could <laughs> <laughs> my favorite concert probably and this everyone's gonna make fun of me but it was switchfoot we um went. 
to live. Yeah. So the reason it was my favorite is because I saw them at a music festival and they performed most of their set and then they did Dare You to Move, which it it's not my favorite song and is definitely not their best song. They're known for like their handful of corny songs. They have a lot of really good music. <laughs> Um, but they remind me of One Tree Hill. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> well, say. I don't know if they were even on One or Tree like Hill. Or like the OC, or yeah, something. Yeah, or what, whatever that movie with Mandy Moore. Um, a walk to a walk to remember. Walk to remember that famous Jinx. song is by the saddest movie ever. That that famous song that she sings is actually by Switchfoot originally. Oh Fun wait, fact. wait, wait! I have it on the tip of my tongue. Only hope. Yeah. Only yes. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really oh, yeah. good if you listen to their version. But anyway, I digress. My favorite um, concert was them at a music festival. And when they did Darien Move, I kid you not, it was like the rain was in on it. And it started to pour right at the like drop when all of the oh instruments come in for Darien to Move. Wow. And like, I just get emotional about everything. And like, the vibe like I don't know I started crying <laughs> and then they, it did start to get thunder and lightning or whatever so we had to get out of there but the lead singer John Foreman he has a solo career too which is super good he's like a really like he's a poet basically um mm. so he did like a little show he always does like surprise shows where he tweets like oh I'm gonna perform on this like corner after the show so he did it did like one of those in a smaller tent it was like a camping kind of uh music festival so he did a smaller tent little show and everybody's soaking wet and sitting there muddy listening to him play so it was it was really cool i I loved it um so yeah i still love switchfoot and don't come at me about it (laughs) cute okay so the first concert i ever went to i feel like i was a late bloomer with concerts and i did not go until i was in eighth sorry till I was a junior or senior in high school wow I think um but my first concert was Motion City Soundtrack and fun opened for them and this was like Uh, long like aim and ignite era fun and wow then I ended up like seeing fun several more times in Iowa City because Nate Roos the lead singer was born there and I have like a soft concert spot in my heart for them but um yeah motion city it was so fun i love motion city soundtrack still and the last concert i went to was uh lucy dacus at what's the concert venue on like the like just below union square that was like closed webster Webster hall Hall. yes at webster hall um she's they like just reopened and i feel like they're gonna close forever now so i'm very sad um um barclays bought them so i think they're they might be okay that's i just remembered that i went to the meadows oh yeah i went to the meadows so that was probably were we at the same festival were you guys at when kanye with like erica badu and stuff? yeah i was there when kanye walked off stage i wasn't there for that night i went to one of the nights oh that was i think it was the second year which wasn't when kanye walked off I did not go the second year because the first year was the biggest shit show because they were letting teenagers drink Mm. and it was just like not good. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just remembered I'd been to a recent concert. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say like five years is a big gap. I I don't really go to concerts, so. (sighs) I feel like living in New York too, they're so accessible. I know, it's like hard to not literally blow every paycheck on concerts. 
Yeah, that's why I'm saving so much money right now, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, Lucy Dacus at Webster Hall. She's incredible, um, beautiful songwriter, singer, everything. And then favorite is very difficult. Uh, I think, okay, well, can I like say one and then like a, do a little shout out? I'm going to do that. So sorry. Um, <laughs> the most like recent memorable favorite one was I saw FKA Twigs at King's Theater in Brooklyn, which that theater is just like stunning. It's an old opera house. It's just like the most beautiful place I've ever watched live music. And she is FKA Twigs is like just Oh, I'm at a loss. I don't even know what to say. She's so talented. I've heard that that show was she, incredible. Yeah, so it was for Mary Magdalene, her recent album. And so she's like a former um, pole dancer. She incorporates pole dancing into all of her concerts. She's also like maybe classically dance trained. I actually don't know if that's true. So maybe don't yeah, quote me. Yeah, I thought me. she was like ballet as well. She's so talented at everything and like her music is also just like so stunning and defies like any genre categorization like there I just feel like there's nobody making music like her she's like a mythical creature yes fairy and her writing like like it's like poetic but then she's got like a song with future that's like I could like pre-game to before going to the bar it's like I she's incredible so that show is definitely not poetic. <laughs> no, not so much, but he's sad and that works, you know? Um, <laughs> but that show like stands out because it was just like nothing I've ever seen. And like how she incorporates dance into her music. Like literally she was like tap dancing at one point. Oh, it was so good. Oh, wow. I love Whoa. tap. I love yeah, that. Yeah. So that was very cool. But then also I just, no, I'm going to leave it. That's, I'm going to say, I'm not going to cheat. Wow. Emily, what did you, what what about you? Oh, hey, me? I was over here like doing the Claire Danes meme, math meme phase because I was trying to figure <laughs> out what the last concert I had been to. Um, so my first concert, I'm pretty sure, was a Joe Bros concert circa 08. Whoa. Yeah. We were That's like, a good first concert. It was a really good first concert. I think my mom had a different experience. <laughs> oh my, God, my mom still talks about when she took us to the Jonas Brothers concert. She's like, I can't hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> From the like, Jonas Brothers I think it concert in 2008. damaged my hearing. Um, but as, you know, a preteen girl, it was great. Um, it was such I a mean, that was my fan. last concert as a 25-year-old. Whoa, it was great. Full circle. Um, it was really fun. It was good energy. Uh, and I think, like, <laughs> good energy. Good energy. <laughs> Just <laughs> screaming teens. Great energy. And, like, hormones <laughs> run amok. In bu- like, like those those like there's an account uh an instagram account called do you love the 2000s and i'm pretty sure it was them who posted a picture of like somebody dressed up in their limited to like mini skirt and they're like me getting ready to go see the jonas brothers completely believing i'm gonna get railed backstage wait no i saw yes. that rail <laughs> that's exactly how i felt i was like nick's gonna see me and we, I mean, you have to understand, we were, like, there was, like, the concert-covered venue, and we were, like, on the back lawn. <laughs> it was, like, they're going to Right, and you're, like, they're, they're going to see shot. me. You still have a shot. I have a shot. Um, plot twist. It, it, it didn't happen between <laughs> me and Nick. Um, you know, never Joe. say never. Never say never. You can never. have Nick, though. 
he had really cute curly hair that's what did it for me um yeah we all know <laughs> yeah and and then after watching chasing happiness i don't think he really comes mm-hmm. off great i think maybe joe is the true treasure of the trio but anyways um congrats on their baby um <laughs> <laughs> the last concert i had to look it up so have you ever been to like the so far sounds or whatever Mm-mm. Uh, so they it's like a cheap like secret concert venue type thing so you pay like 25 dollars, and then they bring you to like a venue they send you the information at the last minute and then they have like three up and coming or like you know kind of like indie artists perform it was a bit weird it was in like a defunct office space but the music was pretty good um like chill acoustic I don't know any of the artists because they were like kind of you know like smaller artists that's Um, cool though yeah it was a good vibe you could bring wine and stuff um And then my favorite concert, I really do want to cheat on because I think I have two because they define two different periods of my musical history. So the first would be Paramore because I was like such a fan. Such a fan. I'm jealous. They were really good live. Um, This was like 2010. So they still had like the OG band back together. They were still in their like emo kind of phase. Haley Williams had like red hair. Oh, it was really good. So they opened for No Doubt, which was super fun as well, because, like, that's Gwen Stefani's band. Mm-hmm. And I just remember Paramore Slane and Gwen Stefani, like, singing and doing one-handed push-ups. I'll, like, never forget <laughs> that, because I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I keep thinking about all the different concerts now, hearing you guys say some. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I know. Right? I have, Getting like, a little sad. And I also want to mention, but I'm not going to. Right? Like, and actually, I have a cheat about my cheat code for Lollapalooza was always Milwaukee Fest. So, or no, Milwaukee Summerfest. Summer yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the bands would be, it was right around the town of Lollap- time of Lollapalooza and a lot of the bands would be in town, but you could drive up an hour. Milwaukee's an hour North of Chicago and like a lot of the same bands would be there and you could pay general admission for $20. So I saw Arctic monkeys that way, which was crazy. Wow. I know. That's Summerfest. I had to good. pay to see them at Lola. I just thought of another concert that was really good. I feel like all the concerts I've been to might be my favorite. I know. Well, yeah, I can yeah. close it out with also like a rain concert, but I have the no Emily. Opposite. Close it out. You've already mentioned forty. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> if anyone's still listening, we will get to books eventually. This is actually a music podcast <laughs> now. <laughs> I just want to say. I don't like the rain because I was there to see Florence and the Machine and her set got cut short because oh, of like lightning year. and shit. That, yeah. that happened to like me with Lord. a good rain concert though. If there was no lightning, like just I mean, pouring if rain it wasn't so her. scary and like she's yeah. like, I have to leave. by It would have been fun. But she's one of my favorite favorite people to see live. She's a, anyways. We don't have to go into too much detail, but but it was fun to reminisce about the days of yonder. Yep. I feel like we could have a whole bonus episode about us just talking about all of these yeah, concerts. Really. All the music we would see. Um, anyways. Those hey, I used to put it in my stories, but uh, can't go to any anymore. Everyone, we're going to put it on our story. Time. Let us know your favorite concert that you've ever been to. Mm. Did your mom lose her hearing at a teen concert? <laughs> Let us <Yeah>. know. <laughs> we could go on and on, but should we talk about books? Yeah. I think we should. Yeah. Can I go first? Yeah. Okay. Today I'm talking about The Vanishing Half. 
by Britt Bennett. Yeah, which I know. So it came out from Riverhead in June 2020. So it's new. And um, I'm pumped because I know we read this. All of us read this for book club. And I sneakily staked my claim by talking about the brothers a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I'm the, I'm, the brothers. <laughs> The mothers. <laughs> oh my god! I think I was saying like Brit Bennett, and then I was like brothers. <laughs> or that like ten minute combo we or just had the about Jonas, Jonas brothers. brothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say no. That whole intro <laughs> was like a half hour. <laughs> I would read that if Brit Bennett to read about the Jonas oh brothers. Oh my god! <laughs> Same. Okay, sorry. Do you think we'll ever get a historical fiction about the Jonas Brothers break? I hope not. <laughs> no. So, anyway, the mothers by Britt Bennett, which I talked about a couple weeks ago. So I feel like The Vanishing Half is like the book of the summer. Like it's everywhere. It was like a GMA Mm -hmm. pick. It debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Like I feel like I've been hearing about it for literally a year, if not more, like since they announced that this book was coming. So um, and normally I it's our book club our pick. <laughs> the other buzz. <laughs> Didn't it get sold to be a yeah, show? It's going to be a show on HBO. Maybe. I think so. I forgot about that when I was HBO, reading it. Yeah. I know. I'm really, really fascinated about that and like by who they're going to pick to play everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So normally I try to like stay away from hyped books in the midst of all of the hype because I just feel like I get lost in that and like overthink you know how I'm feeling about the book or whatever but I feel like this one defies hype and like is just so good like once I started reading it I couldn't nothing else like was entering my mind I was just like only thinking about these characters only thinking about the plot like what was going to happen next how I felt about all the characters all of that so Yeah, I got ahead of myself, but it's so good. I loved it so much. The Vanishing Half tells the multi-generational story of um, these twins. How did you guys pronounce their last name? Vignet? Vignet twins? Yeah. Oh. Like Vignet. I was saying Vignet. Oh, I don't think Because they're all French. They're from Louisiana. Yeah, Yeah, everyone's French. French Okay, so... I know, but you know how you read things and you're like, that's how yeah, it is. Yeah, I like wasn't yeah. I was skimming that, I guess. Um, so the Vignet twins, uh, there are two girls, they're twin sisters named Stella and Desiree, who come from this fictional town called Mallard, Louisiana. So um, the book starts in 1968, which is like obviously the height of Jim Crow times in the South. Um, and then Mallard, this town where they're from, their kind of their whole thing is that everyone in the town is light skinned and like being a light skinned black person is like prized above all else. Like that is what this town is known for. So the twins, Desiree and Stella like witness this horrifying tragedy at a pretty young age and end up losing their father because of it. Um, And so that leads their mother to eventually pulling them out of high school um, to help earn money for the family because she's struggling. She's a single mom, raising two girls. Um, So 
they are pulled out of high school before they're able to graduate. And Desiree, uh, one of the twins, has always like had dreams of acting. She did, I think, um, she was in a play in high school before she had to drop out. And has always just like dreamed of being on stage. And then Stella is the super studious um, book smart twin. So she obviously was really discouraged being pulled out of school because her dream was always going to college and, you know, like graduating high school, obviously, and then graduating college and whatever. So obviously like being pulled out of high school is a setback for both of them. They kind of hatch this plan to escape Mallard after this happens um they're both like ready for something more it's a small town all of that so they end up leaving kind of in the middle of the night like they sort of become these mythological figures in the town just because like it's a small town nobody leaves all of a sudden they're just gone you know they had like they were like descendants from the founder too that's the other thing yeah so uh their mom was like three or four generations below like the founder of the town um so it's like in their blood i guess i don't know um so yeah they kind of become these huge like gossiped about figures and they leave to go to new orleans so they get there and they're working and um money gets kind of tight in new orleans so kind of offhandedly Desiree suggests that Stella applies for this job and it's a typist position in New Orleans and it's for white applicants only but obviously since they come from Mallard you know where everyone is very light-skinned um Stella like in both of their minds they're like just see if you can do it like we need money just go to the interview so Stella goes and in the moment, like I said, it's kind of like a quick, you know, like the way that she writes it. I don't think she was like thinking about Stella's long term implications of like this one decision, but she passes as white during this job interview, ends up getting the job. And then that sort of sets off this um, like echo of not echo what is the word I'm looking for uh ripple effect I guess um where Stella basically from this point forward passes as white for the rest of her life like she becomes a white woman essentially so at a certain point after starting this job she kind of like leaves Desiree just also in the middle of the night like leaves a note just saying like I have to go on with my life and the two of them never speak again. So like they're inseparable twins prior to this, but, um, they're identical, right? Yeah. 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 And yeah, then like in the middle of the night, Stella's disappeared from Desiree's life. And obviously that's kind of sets them on two very different paths. Um, I was read. I was listening to an interview with Britt Bennett, and she was like, "They're twin. They're identical twins, and one is white and one is black." But like, which seems logically like, how is that possible? And then, yeah, it's just kind of all based on this like decision where Stella passes and Desiree does not, and lives her life as a black woman. So, um, in terms of plot, I don't think I want to go much more into it than that i feel like um 
I mean, I already mentioned that it's multi-generational. So, like, later in the book, there is some, like, timeline jumping. And you do, you kind of follow both twins as they go on from New Orleans and lead very different lives. And you actually end up following their two children. They both have um, one daughter. So, you sort of jump through time and end up getting some of their daughter's lives perspectives as well that was like my favorite part oh my god I know if I didn't already make it clear I thought this book was incredible I can't stop thinking about it I think I finished it a little over a week ago maybe a week and a half ago and I'm like still thinking about like the characters and the choices they make and like what that ultimately means for the rest of their lives um since the choices I f- they make I know and I was gonna say More like choices. comparing it to the mothers it's definitely another book about like one choice that you make that in the moment seems like the only option like in this case she's they're desperate they need money but like who could have predicted I it's so I just like love the way that she writes about choices and like once you think it's a small choice and it just affects you forever Yes, and it, it affects, like, other people. The rest of your lot, like, your legacy. Like, she, you know, I'm not going to get into it, but, like, has this daughter who is very affected by this choice in ways that she can't even understand. Like, it's so... I just thought it was an amazing book. I feel like everyone should read it. Everyone... Sh- it, there's just, like, so much to chew on after you finish it. Um every character is so rich and complex. You get a lot of perspectives. And I felt also like, um, Britt Bennett really like polished her skill of, I guess, writing from different perspectives. Um, and like, you know, creating super distinct characters and voices in this book. Um, so that was just like a really impressive feat, I thought. And not to compare it to the mother's, necessarily but I did think it was interesting just like thinking about because I, I was reading I've like become obsessed with Britt Bennett since reading this book I've, I'm like can't oh, it's I loved it so much um but I read that she spent like nine or ten years writing The Mothers which was her debut Whoa. novel wow. yeah and this one she said in interviews that she spent like four or five years on And I almost feel like there were like literary techniques in the mothers that she almost like perfected too much, if that makes sense, because she had so much time spent, I imagine, like revising and like working on that first book um, where this one ended up in my mind being a little bit better balanced between like plot and character development without getting hung up in like the literary techniques. I agree. If that makes sense. Yeah. I was just like blown away by this book. So impressed. When Um, I was reading it, I was like, this might be one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. I felt that way too. And I love the way she writes. I wrote this in my review, but like the way she does flashbacks and like the time jumps, it's so interesting because it's exactly the way you think. Like, yes, like you're sitting like and just now when we were talking about the concerts and like we're going back in our memory and then like just picking up where we left off in a sense, like there's not like 
when you're remembering something, it's like 1993, you know, it's like you're just thinking right. about it. And that's how she right. wrote it. Like, yeah, it's, it's almost like a strain, a strain of con- a string of consciousness. Is that the saying? Stream. A stream of consciousness. <laughs> kind of like. A little brook of consciousness. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're just kind of like going through life and then you remember something and then you go back to your life. Like yes. that's how it was written. And I thought that was, I, it shouldn't be as mind blowing as it is, but it so was. No, but that's so hard to do. And I also feel like she does it so well that it makes it seem easy. It's like that Absolutely. deceptive like skill where you're just like, you almost, if unless you're like really paying attention, you don't recognize like how much work that, takes i think in writing i'm obsessed with her and can't wait to follow her entire career and read everything that she writes she just turned 30 like she has what done all of this oh my god she's a genius yeah that's like i feel like this is like zadie smith level because she wrote her debut at 23 and like i I just like don't it does it does not compute like her being my age and like writing about like life so well like how do you do that it's insane to me she's so good needless Uh, to say it's a five-star read yeah do you even have to ask yeah it's five (laughs) stars for all of you, right? I yeah. mean, I'm yeah. excited to finish it. Like, literally, I think we're going to sign off. and I'm gonna <laughs> You must it. tell me um, how you feel. Yeah. I give it five stars. Becky, what do you? Five stars. Please read it. I think it's honestly the, f- I hate picking like a favorite of 2020, but I think it's, I mean, it's absolutely my top three of 2020 and like probably my favorite that I've read so far this year. Wow. Read it. Yes. Moral <laughs> of the story. Um, Becky, what did you read? Um, okay, so I read Bronte's Mistress by Finola Austin, which came out this month in August of 2020. Um, thank you to Atria for my early review copy. Um, okay, so I'm pretty sure it's Bronte, right? Charlotte Bronte? Bronte? Bronte. Bronte. I googled and did a pr- pronunciation thing and it said Bronte, but I knew this was going to happen. Um, well, whatever it is. I'm going to say Bronte because that's what Google says. If it's Bronte, let me know. Um, I was going to say, Kayla, I heard a History pod- uh, history Chicks podcast where they, they talk about how the Bronte family was Irish. So it was probably Bronte. And then everyone pronounced it Bronte because they didn't want to be Irish. Yeah, probably. In Britain. I saw their um, graves at Westminster Abbey. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Super well, morbid. I mean, on that note, Becky, you died. <laughs> a lot of people actually died in this book, I will say. Oh, um, but that's not really the point of the book. Um, so Bronte's Mistress, it's about this woman named Lydia Robinson um, in the late 1800s. Obviously, um, if it has anything to do with the Bronte sisters, it would be the late 1800s. Um, so Lydia lives in this fancy estate in the English countryside with her fancy husband. Goals. And her devoted servants, not goals. And um, <laughs> her children. And she, so she's, she's a fancy 1800s lady, you know. Um, and the ex-wife is in the attic or something? No. <laughs> um, she's the mistress of this, uh, this house, which is what they called it in these fancy estates. Um, although she's fancy, but they mention her taking like a weekly bath and then her husband like finally coming near her after the week. And I was like, I started to think about how disgusting the 1800s probably smelled like. 
but <laughs> that's a different combo. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think bad. about it like too often. How smelly the eighteen hundreds were. Right? Do you ever watch Outlander and you're like, wow, wouldn't it be fun to time travel? And then you think about how there was literally like, I couldn't go anywhere without Google. <laughs> well, I do think about it. Do you time travel back 20 years? <laughs> Never. <laughs> I don't want to be. You're surprised. so limited. Um, so Lydia's primary goals in life were, you know, to serve her husband, see that her daughter's married into wealthy families and that her son ends up successful slash that she even has a son at all, which was the case for women in this time. And if you read the Bronte novels, you know this is kind of a theme, you know, women in in these kind of old situations. Not old at the time of writing, but old for us. Um, so Lydia hires a governess for her daughters, who is none other than Anne Bronte. Um, her daughters adore Anne, and Lydia's like happy that she found this governess that like connects to her daughter so well and get along with her children and her children love her. She's like, Great, I did my duty as a mistress of this estate. Um, but Lydia also harbors this like really weird, unexplained jealousy for Anne because she like intercepts this letter between Anne and Charlotte, kind of talking about Lydia and just like having a really intellectual conversation. And I thought this was an interesting part of the book, like this lady who in the time had kind of what you aspire to have for the time. And yet she's still looking at these like these women who are kind of like poor and are like, I don't I don't have what they have. Um, But anyway, that's not really the theme of the book but it was an interesting part um so her husband decides that their son needs like a male tutor to teach him and kind of like show him how to be a man and like teach him outside of like where the girls are learning um so like learning the patriarchy probably yeah so (laughs) he he hires Anne's love those victorian times yeah he hires Anne's brother branwell um and so who was a mess he was right, I remember a right. mess so he but he's described as like who better to teach the paper patriarchy than messy man <laughs> um, well i mean there you go i mean is anyone not messy we're all messy but yeah. so he's described in the book as like really hot and he knows oh. it and he's a oh. total flirt but he's also an alcoholic which is a whole other thing um he's immediately flirtatious with lydia and it makes Lydia feel some feels. Um, she hasn't been <laughs> quote unquote touched by her husband in a very long time. And she resents him for a lot of things. And a lot of them are that, you know, marriage isn't all sunshine and sexy time all the time. So she just decides, okay, I'm going to let myself feel these feels. Um, and can I note that Branwell is young enough to be her son? Like this Ooh, is this is a Victorian cougar. cougar we have on our hands. Spicy. Um, I mean, spicy, spicy. Yes, Lydia. Get it, <laughs> Lydia, because I was just listening to this podcast about how marriage was always like a pro- marriage was always just like an economic yeah. proposal, and like romance didn't filter in, and in affairs was how you got your romance, but. There was a lot of restraint against women cheating, obviously, because it might result in a baby or like you could get shunned permanently. Or you were embarrassing your husband. Society. Yeah. And that was a big theme in the book about like, you know, the the economics of marriage and whether or not like 
women should, you know, do something that will make them feel good, but defy their husbands. So one thing leads to another and an, and an affair begins. <laughs> um, Becky, do they fall in love? Um, that is... Or a lust. Sounds like lust. These, oh. are, these are things that you have to read the book for because that is kind of a big question. Um, so there's been a lot of speculation among like fans of the Bronte sisters about this affair. Um, I was just gonna say, is this based on like rumor? This is based on rumor. There are actual letters, real letters from Branwell to Lydia that were actually included in the book. Um, were they like scandalous? They were passionate. These, these letters. Were they like, your skit, you smell so good after your (laughs) weekly bath, (laughs) madam. <laughs> no, it was it's different from that because one thing you got to keep in mind is that the family that Branwell comes from. So he's he like is feeling like I, he, there's a lot of things where he's like, "Oh, I I think Charlotte's going to publish a novel before I do." And like that they're all kind of this internal I want to do better. Wait, than I don't the know other. anything about them. Did the brother like write books too? He was like a poet yeah, they all and wrote. like, yeah, they um, were all like very, oh, I love them. I think they wrote things together when they were kids. Yeah. Oh, that's they, cute. But they were all sickly too. They were like a mess. They were, they were a mess, you know, but they all wanted to write. So imagine sick. this person who writing is the way that they communicate and he wanted to be a poet. Um, So these, he wrote like poems to Lydia in these letters like so passionate and then he also had some of the the poems dedicated to her published in the local newspaper Whoa. i mean they they were like cryptic but like so this is a documented speculation sounds like thing. the rumors were confirmed what's her name lydia robinson Robin, li- so he probably oh what li- is it? lydia robinson i just was stumbling over my so so she was like he was like this poet is dedicated to lydia <laughs> robinson <laughs> oh my god <laughs> No, 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 no. Um, so the book gets steamy, but not like erotica steamy, but steamy nonetheless. Victorian steamy. Victorian steamy. Um, I will say like... A little peep of the leg, an exposed ankle. <laughs> no, um, it's a book about a love affair, so like one would kind of hope that there would be some steamy scenes. So the other thing about this book is it shows Anne Bronte and her sisters and how the affair between... Branwell and Lydia might have affected them and like how it kind of like made so much fall apart for everyone involved um but I do think overall it's kind of a story about women in Victorian times kind of taking control of the narrative and I mean whether or not you know Lydia does this in a good way that's appropriate I mean choices we make (laughs) um more choices but yeah, the author's note mentioned wanting to give Lydia like a voice to the speculation because there's so much like history kind of surrounding the story and we know so much like about the Brontes and about what happened with them that you don't get her side. So no one's ever tried to write from her side, according to the author's note. So she chose to. Um, I really liked this book. I would highly, highly recommend it, especially if you're a Bronte reader, which I will admit with shame that I haven't read any of their books. Um, I do think I would have enjoyed this way more. I I really liked this book. I have to lay that down first. I really liked it, but I think I would have really, really, really liked it had I 
read their books because in the author's note, she mentions that Lydia is the mother of Agnes Gray. If you've read Agnes Gray. And mm, okay. Anne's times. So that's Anne's book, right? Yes. And Anne's time spent with the family is depicted in Jane Eyre. So by Charlotte. So like there's a lot in this book that she pulls from their novels. So it made me want to like go read them so I can be like, oh, okay, that's like that. And the con- see the connections. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I think everyone should read it, whether or not they are a Bronte fan or not. You can still enjoy it. Victorian affairs. I mean, what's not to love? The scandalous bath. Yeah. <laughs> the smelly Victorian times. How many stars? I gave it four me. stars. Classic I, Becky. pretty good still. Yeah, classic me. Um. Oh, and there's right also the like, spot. I feel like Victorian glamour is like so interesting to me like the fan the the like fanciness of having a a carriage and like going to these different estates and writing to your fancy friends and I don't know (laughs) I just imagined that like one of the daughters one the older daughter was would be played by like Keira Knightley in a oh because she only does um period pieces yeah like (laughs) in you know uh what's his name Colin Firth. Colin Firth would absolutely freaking play someone in this. In this. Wait, movie. that's wild that that's who you were thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> you just want to recast Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> yeah, 2005 Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> no, but Colin Firth is in well, so Matthew. many movies. Yeah, period pieces. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Ooh, I might have to read that. Emily, what did you read? All right. So I am going to talk about Patsy by Nicole Dennis Ben. Um, which came out last year, 2019. And I read this in June originally, but it's kind of one of those books that like sticks with you. And I feel like I've seen it cropping up more on the internet lately. Um, and I was going to wait for Livy to read it, but maybe I'll convince you to kind of like pick it up sooner. But I will yeah. say it's kind of heavy. Um, or you know, it gets it gets your mind a churn and it gets you thinking it's not necessarily going to make you feel like elated and happy all the time, but it's going to make you feel like change. Like, I feel like since reading this, I've looked kind of at the world a little differently, which is the sign of a good book. And I finally get to talk about my book about choices because <laughs> uh, I think maybe the memo arrived late. <laughs> Classic. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like that's what Patsy is kind of about. It's like making these hard choices and you're following her path and the repercussions from, from the choices that she's made in her life. So the book opens up with Patsy, um, who's a young Jamaican woman and mother to a six-year-old daughter named True. And when the book opens, she's finally getting approval for a visa to America, which is a really big deal. There's the first scene is kind of like how people behave and act and how long they have to wait for a visa and how sacred that is to be able to to come here on a visa. Um, And she applied because she's excited to see her old childhood friend, uh, Cicely, and kind of escape her lower income neighborhood of Pennyfield in Jamaica which is the kind of place that's 
I don't know about impoverished, but it's definitely low income. And it feels like people are always working hard, but never reaching like a level of comfort. There's a lot of classes judgment from other kind of neighborhoods. Um, and Patsy also lives at home with her mother, who's really evangelical Christian and who has decided to stop working, kind of processes all the problems and her life through the lens of Christ will save me and therefore you know doesn't really like put any effort into to contributing to their small family unit and Patsy feels a lot of, of pressure for supporting her mom and in her daughter financially um and so we know all these things about Patsy we know she's coming to America and we also quickly learn that she isn't interested in bringing her daughter or mother with her to America she wants to completely leave her life in in Jamaica and for me that was a bit of a record scratch moment because you're like what sorry how old's her daughter did you say that she was six oh wow so a, a young kid um and and Patsy like supports her daughter and her her mom like um I mean they they go into it later but Patsy and, and True's father weren't like together as a couple um, and, and Patsy just kind of like decides to leave. She kind of finds she's like, I'm going to America and I'm going to start over and, and live this life that I, I've always wanted to live. And over the course of the novel, we kind of figure out why life in Jamaica wasn't everything Patsy like hoped it would be and why it's not healthy for her to stay. Um, and then I don't really want to spoil this, but I think it's hard to talk about the whole book without bringing it up. But the reason Patsy's so determined to kind of like find Cicely is that they weren't just childhood friends, but they were actually young lovers. And it was really challenging for Patsy to come to terms with this aspect of her identity. The book goes into pretty great detail about how Jamaica's culture is, is really homophobic um, and, and sometimes violent against same-sex couples. And so Patsy couldn't really, like, love her friend freely. And that was really complicated because they were young and, and um, Cicely kind of, like, abruptly left. And then Patsy had her kid and, and like, life just kind of happened to her. And she was never able to, like, move on from the that lost relationship and then the novel kind of like proceeds to break your heart because oh no. when Patsy comes to America, she kind of has to reconcile the dreams that she had of what life would be like immigrating on a visa versus what the actual life is like for someone who is working on a visa. Like a lot of the the logistics that probably I would venture like, you know, like people who are who have their American citizenship don't have to think about very often about how visas are such a barrier. Our country puts up so many paper trails and walls against what kind of life you're able to lead here just because of paperwork. And it's, it's really unfair to kind of like read someone like Patsy and, and see like the dream she envisioned for herself. She's smart. She's good at math. Um, she doesn't particularly like taking care of children um, and she was hoping to kind of come here and get a college degree. But when she she gets here, you know, like 
technically she's here and overstaying her her tourist visa so she isn't able she she comes to New York City and then she isn't able to go back to Jamaica unless she applies for a new you know like um she can't really travel easily and then she isn't offered the kind of jobs that she thinks she's qualified for like she gets a lot of house cleaning jobs and and nannying and she was like why would I leave my child to come here and take care of like white people's children I'm good at math I should be able to go to school and it was like it was heartbreaking to read about that experience because she had so much hope when she left that she would be able to improve her circumstances and and it was really interesting to kind of read about how her perception of herself as a Jamaican and and how that's changed when you come to America like white people don't have the nuance to deem you as Jamaican they they just see you as black and that was something she had to reconcile with too um and this was set in like the 90s and they talk about the disappearance of kind of these Caribbean neighborhoods in Brooklyn and how it was like slowly getting gentrified and we still see the effects of that today um so that was really interesting to read about as well and then on top of all that there are chapters where we flash over to true's perspective in jamaica oh my god throughout the course of her life so you're here you're you're seeing things through patsy's perspective you're like yeah patsy go to america and like find love and like live your best life but then you see true and she's stuck in jamaica she's living with a she's like really mourning the loss of her mom and just kind of like keeps missing her over the course of her life and and we see like even though Patsy's life moved on, True's is like stunted in a lot of ways and, and how that like shaped True's perception of herself and her own identity while she was coming of age in Jamaica. So it was a lot and it, it was tough because like I wanted, it's kind of weird because I feel like I read Patsy and I didn't necessarily like her, but because you know like so much about Patsy's life and you know that it it was not good for her to be in Jamaica and you want the best for her you like you can understand why she made the choices that she made and you still want her to be happy and I think that's like a real testament to why like the storytelling is so impactful is because it's it's not it doesn't read like it's made up circumstances anything I almost feel like it's a unfiltered access into like a real person's life and so like Patsy is a real person like walking around in the world and real people make flawed decisions that impact their family members and that impact the people around them and like I think some readers might come to this experience and be like not dissatisfied but almost uncomfortable with the fact that like you're not necessarily going to get like a happy ending but I still feel like it's so important to to read about because it's like so many things that that it's just like life and (laughs) I don't know I think reading is a good way to engage with your empathy and like to explore these topics that like if you're someone who was born in the U.S. and you're white and you grew up in the suburbs like me maybe you wouldn't have have to have engaged with some of these topics growing up or, or have to think about them so constantly and I think reading a book like this even though it's not going to give you that 
magic happy ending is so so like thought provoking and and really good to read. I want to read this. Um, that's what I remember. Yeah. Um, with here comes here comes the sun. Um, I think her name was Margot, but she was also just like not likable, but you still were you cared like i don't know how she does that it's hard to pull that off i feel like sorry same author nicole dennis ben yeah i remember emily said uh, that when libby covered her other book yeah i was like (laughs) she alluded to this more of that and the lesbianism is more central in this because it's something that Patsy's constantly engaging with. It's the driving force behind why she wants to change her life, even if she doesn't have the words to kind of like say it that way at the beginning of the novel. Um, and I also think on top of all the character stuff, which I, I like a complex character, you know, like it's weird to read about black and white morals in a book because like you said, with The Vanishing Half, everyone lives in the gray and so it, it was good to read about Patsy's perspective. But I also think the setting is really cool, too, because it is a New York novel. And I think everyone's perception of New York is very like, like even us, sex in the city, kind <laughs> of. Or like, are there any real New Yorkers left? And I would say, yeah, but it's mostly immigrant people. Like immigrant populations make up the backbone of the city. And for whatever reason, they're misrepresented in, in kind of the media lexicon of what we talk about in terms of like the New York experience. And so like... There's a lot of patsies out there that that run this city and you might not stop and think about how many patsies are going through similar circumstances. I was thinking that when you were saying about how like you are a white girl who grew up in the suburbs, same for all of us, like we've probably living in New York have encountered so many patsies and like haven't thought further into their experience and their life so it's kind of cool that this like shows you worse because you're getting patsy's receiving of the perception that she's invisible and i think that's true i mean you don't want to gauge in the world and look over people who are of a different social status than you or, or race or ethnicity or you know like it's very easy to kind of like especially in new york take for granted kind of like the the different populations that we have here but I think it makes you stop and think and really empathize with what someone would be going through because it is really really tough to be the first one through the door um into like it's brave to carve out that new life for yourself and our country does not set it up to be easy even if even if you work really hard and you're well-intentioned and and all that and I also learned a lot about Jamaica because you get those perspectives like from true and so there was a lot of dialogue about growing up in Jamaican culture and it was really fun if you if you want to travel and for me part of travel is like learning about new cultures and and kind of like feeling like you know different parts of the world and so I think this was like a good book to to virtually take you there (laughs) like I'm learning about a new culture and I I'm feel like I'm traveling um and and get in touch with those New Yorkers that that come here to to carve out the life that they deserve to lead. So yeah, would you rate it? That's good. I think I did give it five stars. It is a lot to like digest, but like I said, it, it kind of like stuck with me. Um, and the and the writing was quite good. Anyways, Kayla, you want to bring this baby home? 
Okay, this is the last book I read during my staycation. I feel like I should just tell you guys, I read seven books during my staycation. You read seven books in in a five-day period? No, in 11 days because the weekends. Yeah. Um, Reminder that (laughs) it's okay if you don't read as fast as Kayla or as fast as anyone you see on Bookstagram. Yeah, don't make her feel guilty about it. No, I I just, I'm not trying to make her feel guilty about it. No, no one, I'm talking to the people. Please do not compare yourself to me. (laughs) Like... That's all I just want to say. Like, don't feel bad. She's a Leo. Do you honestly, do you know what? Okay. Sorry. Quick aside. So my cousin, she is the biggest reader I've ever met, like surpasses me completely. And I went to meet the baby and she reads probably faster than me. And I think I get it from my cousin, Colleen. Um, So it just runs in my family. Anyway. So my experience with this book was kind of interesting because I had one of like my first quarantine book buys was The Resistance Women, which like I've only spoke, I think I've only spoken about one World War II book on here, which I think was just called Name Helene. But I love, love, love World War II books, which is like so basic in like the historical fiction world. <laughs> like so it's basic. it's like whatever books you like. Yeah. It's like I I just think like it's so fascinating to get like different perspectives of World War II. Um Anyway, I ended up DNFing that book because I was just not in the headspace for it. And I, it was only my second DNF of the year, I think. So it was kind of hard to do, but so I put it away. And this is why I love the fact that I have so many unread books because I just got to, I was still in the mood for World War II. So I just got to like go to my book cart and pick up one of the many World War II books that were unread that were sitting there. So I read The Bean Town Girls by Jane Healy. It came out last year, and I remember it was all over Bookstagram when it came out. Not sure why I didn't pick it up until now. Okay, so basically all World War II historical fiction that I've read focuses on women in Europe, which makes sense because that's where, like, everything was happening. Like, when I think of American women in World War II, I literally think of Molly, the American girl doll. <laughs> the slander we don't need to go and into we it we know how we feel about it yeah <laughs> um but whenever i read historical fiction i kind of always wonder what my life would have been like if i lived during that time so it was really cool to read about american women who these women actually like went to the front but if i was living during this time i would not have done what they did i would have been too you would scared. be in the back <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have been like still in America, like maybe donating some clothes and like rationing food. Um, okay, so the book is about these real life women who they were Red Cross Club Mobile girls and they would travel around Allied Army bases during the war to like boost morale among the soldiers. I've literally never heard of them. When I when I heard Red Cross, I assumed that they were like nurses. Like I had no idea that these girls existed. So. The the club mobile was like their van, I guess. Um, and in the back of the van, they would like they had like coffee machines and like donut machines, and they would serve coffee and donuts. And they had like a Victrola, so they would play like records for oh. the soldiers. Could we bring this van back? Because yeah, would buy coffee, donuts, Victrola <laughs> stuff, and like, donuts on the street. So the book follows these three girls from Boston, Fiona, Viv, and Dottie, and their best friends. And they end up like in the same club mobile they named the Cheyenne. But they were best friends like before 
they went to the war. Um, and Fiona is like the main, main character and her fiance was in the air force and he, his plane crash, crashed over Germany and they, she doesn't know what happened to him. If he's alive, dead, whatever. So she feels like she has to do something. And she also kind of thinks that if she can get herself to Europe, she can find out more answers, which is like kind of like wishful thinking, but she, they were like at the movies and they would play like propaganda before the film started. And they, she saw like the ad for the club mobile girls. So she convinces her two best friends, like join with her. But the selection process for this was like very specific. Like you had to be, I think you had to be above 25. You had to be educated, pretty of course, cause it was the forties um, they wanted people that were outgoing. Like it was very, a very specific type of girl they were looking for. So the book opens up as the three of them are departing from New York for England where they have to go to train. And I thought it was really interesting because it started after D-Day. Like there's a point where they end up like on the beaches of Normandy and it's like that battle had already happened and they're like meeting like men oh. who survived it. Because the war obviously... Wait, so they were boosting morale after the war. But the war went on after that. Like, so it was kind of interesting to read that because I feel like a lot of World War II books are like beginning or like in the thick of it. But this is like you were with them like at the, as the war ended. And like that becomes like a big part of it. But so they get to England and um, like right away they're in like this train station and they called them like buzz bombs, but I've also in other books seen them referred to as doodle bugs. And there were these bombs that you would hear coming. And then when it went silent, that's when you had to freak out because that meant that like it was about to explode on top of you. <laughs> so otherwise, if that weren't so scary, I'd be like, that's a great drink. Yeah. Buzz so they are like, of course, right away, like in an attack from like a doodle bug. Um, but it really kind of helped to like get across to you like what the blitz was really like in London. Cause I feel like I've read a lot about it, but it, this was like a interesting firsthand encounter of like these women just arriving in England and like, okay, we're being bombed. So they in their England in England and they go through training, which is like kind of wild. It's like, they have to learn how to drive the club mobile, which is like crazy clutch stuff. And like, I don't know. I, I, I can't drive clutch and they're also in England and they're American. So it's like, everything's opposite. And they have to like learn how to make coffee and like the, in the back of it and the donut machines are like insane. Like that was like a whole like crazy thing. So it becomes a big deal to Fiona because they're not sent to the continent right away, which is what they, it was basically France, but they kept referring to it as the continent. And she wanted to get over there because she thought she was going to like find her fiance. So they start out traveling around bases in England and they're, Fiona's like kind of disheartened about this, but the men that were at these bases, like they had been in these huge battles and they were in England, like recouping or whatever. So like they have seen shit. So it kind of seemed like I got the idea in the beginning of the book that what they were doing was kind of like flippant and a lot of it seemed sexist. But once you, once they started visiting the bases, it would, it, you, it becomes like, you realize how important it was for the soldier's mental health to have like a break from the war. Like when the girls arrived, they like, they said so many times like, Oh my God, you're like a real American girl. Like that. I would like roll my eyes at that. But then they would want to help them like serve the rest of the soldiers. And like, they were like singing and like dancing and they kind of got a break from 
ever like all the insane shit that they were living through. Oh. So I'm just picturing like the Andrews sisters serving coffee. <laughs> yeah. But like the da, 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 da. Yeah, like in the beginning I was like, this is like kind of dumb. But once they're like actually interacting with soldiers, it's like, okay, they were actually like making a difference in their lives. And they developed like strong friendships with a lot of the soldiers. And then they would keep, as the story went on and as their like careers went on in the army, they would keep like running into them. And like, obviously there was like love stories and stuff. So they finally get to the continent and that's when the entire book changes. They arrive on the beaches of Normandy, like not long after the battle of Normandy, they're met by soldiers who survived it and are like telling them about their friends who died in the battle. Like, it was like it's just really interesting to read about that and then they're literally on the front like they're going to meet up at bases and they're like oh we're like surrounded by germans <laughs> like casual wait do you oh, and wow. there's like does that mean on the front lines yeah on the front lines the western front like yeah like the germans are like on the other side of the forest so they get into like all these insane like i'm reading it and i'm like these th- things are crazy there's no way they're real and then in the author's note she said that so a lot of the real club mobile girls left a lot of documentation of their times and all of these insane things they went through that i was like there's no way it has to be fake it was they were literally all based off of real events yeah so overall i thought it was like a really interesting spin on a world war ii book i've never read one like this and it was cool to learn about what American women were doing to help out and how they were literally risking their lives just to like help the soldiers like perk up and kind of like give them a boost of happiness before they went out to like risk their lives again. And there was like a a love story that I thought was really cute and I really liked. I'm not going to get into that. Um, But just one thing I thought was so interesting as I kept reading it because they kept saying like we had plans for our lives, but like history demands us of this and they were like, this isn't what I planned for my life, but history happened. And I kept thinking about what we're going through now, which it's obviously, thankfully, we're not in a world war, but we all like had plans for our lives. And I know like, like I've spoken to friends about it and I'm like, this is just like the insane time in history that we live in. It was, I thought it was so interesting to see those words literally said like about another insane time of history. Like none of that, those people thought they were going to live through that. And they did, and, like, life went on. So, yeah, I read it in a day because I needed to know what happened to her fiancé. <laughs> Whoa. This makes me really excited because I got this book as an ebook deal recently because you guys know I love my ebook deals, and it's sitting in my Kindle library, okay. so I might have to bump it up. Yeah, you should. I'm, like, I don't know why it took me a year to get it because it's, like, so up my alley, but... Yeah, and the so cover's good. so cute. Yeah, the cover is so cute. It's like the girls like hanging out of the club mobile. Yeah, but five serried. So is it called the Bean Town Girls because they bring coffee beans, or are they from Chicago? Okay, they're from. Is that Bean no? Town? They're from Boston, and I. Oh, that is. Oh, Chicago's not Bean Town. You're right. Yeah, Boston's I didn't Beantown. know that. And then they would like. I'm meet, sorry, Boston. <laughs> they would meet soldiers, and they're like. Oh, Beantown. I was like, oh, that's where the name comes from. I, I thought it was going to be like something with the war. Wow. Wait, I'm why? so embarrassed that I said Chicago. I thought it was Chicago to too, though, because of the beans. I'm offended. I'm sorry to Chicagoans and I'm sorry to Bostonites. Is that what you're called? Yeah. I've I'm never heard Boston called Beantown. I have, and I don't I've know why so I just many mixed times. it up. I don't know. Anyways, 
if you are like me and you love World War II historical fiction, this is a really great take on it. And it's not like anything else I've read. And I've read a lot of them. So I'm excited. What's up next for you? Okay. Well, this is the first time I'm ever doing this. I already started it. Oh, (laughs) cheater. Cheater. I'm 50 pages in to, I can't even say without laughing, Midnight (gasps) Sun. You have it? By Stephanie Meyer. Oh my God, it's so long. The bitch is back. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think it's just Twilight, but with the words swapped, like. No, it's not. Um, it's over 600 pages. I was not expecting that. I literally like, it's almost painful to read. It's so cringy. And I will never reread Twilight now because of that. But it's like kind of fun to like hang out with Edward again. Oh my God, he's in it. I know nothing about it's any from, of this. It's Twilight from Edward's perspective. So like I already read the part when he in Twilight when he like disappears you're like with him when he disappears. So that's kind of interesting. You have to talk about this on the podcast. Oh, when he's like. After the first meeting, I am I, I was uh, thinking about it, but I didn't know if it would be like. My it would be. God. I don't know. Maybe celebrated. I will. Let's Please see. Do. Yes. Yeah. Becky, what's next? Okay. Um, I've just been so indecisive lately. Ooh. Um, I can't decide what to read next. So I, I said this already. I'm in Ohio right now. And it, like the weather's weirdly fall-like. It's like kind of chilly and breezy Hmm. and so i'm kind of in a fall mood so i might read the year of the witching by alexis henderson because i'm kind of in the mood for something spooky and witchy and fall like but i'm also like not ready for fall and i want it to stay (laughs) summer so i'm i might read a beach read so maybe boardwalk summer by meredith yeager so tbd uh libby what's up next for you i'm gonna read next uh she's intimations (laughs) intimations by zadie smith which is her short essay collection that she wrote in quarantine as if it's not a big deal to just write a book in quarantine or just inceptionize a podcast (laughs) uh emily what are you reading uh i want to read take a hint danny brown by talia hibbert i want to read that too I think the main romantic lead is like a PhD student. So a lot of people are like, check this out. I love it. Did you read um, Chloe Brown? No. I think you like that one too. If I like, I I was seeing they're part of the same universe, but you don't have to do them in sequence. So this girl is her sister. Love it. So where can everybody be found on the web? (laughs) On the internets. I'm at K Redwatt. I'm at Becky in the bookshelves. I'm at the Lazy Library. I'm at Sleep, Run, Read, Repeat. And you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're hashtagging my books in the city whenever you're posting something we've recommended. Or and and or if you're posting in our merch. Or any, and this or is very anything really. Yeah. Just hashtag it. Um this is important because I've reached out to a lot of people who have posted in their merch, but if you have posted merch in your story or your feed and you have not heard from us, send us a DM so we can get your address because we want to send you your free sticker sheet. Stickers. Yes. And um, I'm sure you're listening to the end of this and you're like, they said that they're probably going to give us a new announcement next episode. And here we are next episode. And I'm here to tell you, sign up for the newsletter because we're gonna announce something really soon. I swear to God, it, it is will be next happening. this time. It's really happening. 
plots it's really are gonna in happen. motion. We it's going to happen, and I mean it. We had a meeting two days yeah. ago. It was <laughs> we had a meeting. Official. And we are going to announce next episode, and I mean it this time. Yes. Yay. And wherever you're listening, please follow, like, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. We have our resource doc still in our bio. Follow us on Twitter, BATC Pod. We made a Facebook page. It's Books in the City Podcast. It has our logo, so that's how you know which one is us. There's like nothing there yet, but go ahead and like the page and maybe we'll like start <laughs> building a community there too. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Here, listen. Oh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.